0: The Life of the Party, copyright Serena Murthy, 2018, November 4, 2015. The trip was eventful, to say the least. We traveled there by private plane. I took a cue from the others and worked on my speech. I had a window seat and it was surprisingly easy to concentrate. The rest of the team didn't pay much attention to me and I found that I preferred it that way. We drove to the hotel and had dinner in the lobby. I turned in early because we had to be ready to go at 6am the next day. There were cameras and TV crews setting up. There was a whole lot of press. I caught sight of the Miami Herald and found myself feeling oddly homesick for the Washington Post. My speech went fine. I used the same kind of theme that had gone over so well the first time. I had been able to expand on certain sections during the flight. All in all, it was pretty well received. Mr. Reynolds took the stage just like last time, and I thought everything was going to go over fairly smoothly. What happened next is hard to explain simply because it happened so fast. I'd heard Fred Cole say many a time, I didn't think, I just reacted. And now, I flatter myself that I knew what he meant. There was a slight movement at the back of the audience. It was extremely subtle. I only saw it out of the corner of my eye. But there was a wrenching in my gut that told me what it was and who it was meant for. So I took a leap of faith in me, I guess. Mr. Reynolds had been standing just a few feet away from me. The sound of an explosion was ear-splitting as we both fell to the ground. This was followed by a lot of screaming. I couldn't tell if Mr. Reynolds was hurt. I couldn't even cover all of him. He's a big guy it was a stampede as everyone rushed to get out of the stage and off it was a stampede as everyone rushed to get off the stage and out of the building i could hear the police yelling orders in that gravelly baritone they have i could hear the police yelling orders in that gravelly baritone they have i was sure it would be a- I was sure it would all be over in a couple of minutes and we could get up. I kept scanning the horizon to try and make out whether anyone had been apprehended, but I couldn't see very well. My front hair was in my eyes, one hand was pressed firmly against Mr. Reynolds' forehead, and the other was keeping his arm pinned down. Then I heard someone say something very strange in a loud voice, as if he were announcing it to some unknown audience. I mean, ours had scattered. Reynolds is down, McCord's been hit. I repeat, McCord's been hit. Well, that struck me as a mighty strange thing to say. I would have argued the point, but for some reason I fainted. I woke up in a hospital bed. The walls and ceiling were a calming blue. There was a white linen bedspread placed over me. I looked around, no one was there. My belongings, clothes, wallet, cell phone were neatly stacked on a chair. I sure sure hoped they hadn't stuck me in the insanity ward. It's a little early for that. I was thirsty, so I pressed the call attendant button. A a bright-eyed, blonde-haired nurse, who kind of looked like Rachel McAdams, came and smiled at me. "'What can I get our brave hero?' she asked. "'I think you have the wrong room,' I flirted back. "'Anyway, I'd just like a glass of water, please.' coming right up, she said, and brought it. I drank it and felt better. What happened to me? I asked. You saved Fred Reynolds' life, she said. You took a bullet for him. This sounded insane. I don't feel anything, I said, and suddenly became worried about paralysis. The doctor anesthetized the area, she said. It was a glancing flesh wound. Clean entry and exit. But she leaned in and winked at me. Still pretty heroic. I felt shy. "'Was Mr. Reynolds hurt?' I asked. "'Not at all,' she said. "'I breathed a sigh of relief. "'Where is he?' "'He's waiting outside. Shall I send him in?' "'I opened my mouth to say yes when my cell phone rang. "'Nurse Mara,' I'd read her name tag by now, "'nimbly stepped over to the chair and picked it up. "'She gave me a quizzical look and handed me the phone. "'It's your mom,' she said. "'Oh, boy!' mom it was just a flesh wound glancing clean entry and exit i held the phone away from my ear as my sainted mother held forth volubly on the fact that while she was very glad the bullet had made a clean exit she would have vastly preferred that it had never entered in the first place i should never have let you do this it's far too dangerous but you're in politics i pointed out yes well. I'm the adult, so be quiet. I kept quiet. There are some situations where it is an act of utter futility to argue with your mother, and this was one of them. You're sure you're all right? Mom asked eventually. Yeah, I'm fine. The doctor will be in to examine me in a moment. Mom let out a sigh of relief. I'm on my way to see you, she said. Do you still need me to come? I'm always glad to see you. You know that, I said. The word surprised me. Ordinarily, I'd have said, I don't need my mommy. I guess mom was surprised too. I heard her hiss, be quiet, Russell, and then say, I'll be there as soon as I can. I love you, honey. Love you too, I said. Oh, and tell Fred I'm very glad he's all right, and I'm also incredibly mad at him. You got it, I said, and we hung up. Nurse Mara was looking at me in an amused way. Well, that took a while, she said. Twelve minutes and forty-three seconds, I confirmed, glancing at my cell phone. You poor thing, she soothed, fluffing up my pillows. She smelled nice. Want me to ask the doctor to hold off, she teased. Give you a chance to regroup? Nah, that was the easy part, I said. Just wait till you meet Allison. Mr. Reynolds was very apologetic when he came in. I don't see why. It wasn't his fault. Even mom wouldn't be able to find it in her heart to be mad at him. Mr. Reynolds, it's okay, I assured him. Who was behind it? He hemmed and hawed until I eventually cottoned on to the fact that it was a white supremacist group. I felt infuriated. That's insane, I exploded. Jason, take it easy, Mr. Reynolds said, looking around in alarm as though worried the hospital staff would storm the place. But I didn't know how to put my feelings into words. It was downright idiotic for some group to try and shoot him. I mean, I didn't even think of him as black. He was just Mr. Reynolds. I guess that must sound pretty idiotic too, or perhaps it was exactly what MLK Jr. meant. I sat back and folded my arms. Mr. Reynolds eyed me compassionately. His eyes appeared to be saying that my youth, passion, and idealism prevented me from fully understanding what a risk it was for an African American to even aspire to the presidency of the United States, and that one day, I too would be equally jaded and cynical, having shed the rose-colored glasses of boyhood and entered the light of common day. I didn't feel that way. I felt crappy. I felt mad at the country for having allowed this to happen. Mr. Reynolds has always been good at reading my stubborn self. He changed the subject. Isabella and Arabella want me to drop out of the race, he said. My eyes widened. Well, I don't think Arabella understands what happened or what almost happened, Mr. Reynolds chuckled dryly. She said, Daddy, come home because Mommy wants you to. You can't, I protested, not this close to election night. I suddenly wanted to see him take the White House, really show them, right down to a picture of Arabella playing in the Oval Office a la Caroline Kennedy. He gave a heavy sigh. People are counting on you, I protested, even though I knew I was fighting a losing battle. You won the nomination. You made history. He reached out, took my clenched fist in his hand and squeezed it. When it comes down to it, I think I'm too selfish to be president or even be in public service, I said. I knew it was a lost cause. I want to live to see Arabella grow up. So on election night, it'll be Mr. Reynolds' running mate's name on the campaign.